You're listening to Crossings Conversations from Church Divinity School of the Pacific, a show about leaders creating Christian community and sharing God's love. This is Kyle Oliver, Communications and Marketing Manager at Church Divinity School of the Pacific, and I'm here with the Right Reverend Jennifer Reddle of the Diocese of Arizona. Bishop Reddle, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. It's great to be with you. So this is a conversation about the future of leadership formation in the context of the Episcopal Church, uh, seminaries, etc. And uh, you are a relatively new bishop, so I invite you to answer this question however you know it sort of makes sense for you. Um, but in your current position or in a past position, I'm curious about how your thinking about leadership formation might have changed over the years. So I think the the way that it's changed certainly in the last two years is a much greater appreciation for the the diversity of leadership that's needed across the church or across a diocese like Arizona. Um, you know, I had not spent a lot of time before coming to Arizona thinking about how do we form part-time locally formed clergy for work in rural parishes. Um, but we have done quite a bit of that in Arizona prior to my arrival. Um, and so I'm getting to as a bishop see some of the fruits of that and also think about how we're going to do the next iteration of that in some of our congregations. Mm. Um, And then the other thing that has come back um, that I think I was only slightly aware of as a parish priest is about how do we, how do we form clergy to have the ability to be self-reflective to have the gift of looking you know, kind of like how Jesus, you know, goes away to a mountaintop to pray or you know, <laughs> like to go away and reflect on our interactions and our ministry and and honestly think about things done and left undone. Hmm. Those are the moments where I think whenever there's conflict, the the clergy need to be able to think about, you know, not just how I have been sinned against, <laughs> hmm. but but how do you know? How do I work in this relationship, and what am I doing that I can change? Um, that that's something that I I'm not quite sure what the way of teaching that is, but I I would love to see more of that. Yeah, yeah. So do I hear you in saying that? Do I hear you saying both? There's sort of the um, there's sort of the critical awareness piece of uh, you know being able to step outside of ourselves enough to kind of understand the interactions, et cetera. But I think I also hear you saying maybe that there's a, a sort of humility piece there of, you know, it's not my position as a leader to um, uh, to always be right. Mm-hmm. And and that there's something I have to sort of, um, you know, as part of my practice, be be sort of owning about the mistakes that I make and sort of normalizing that. Do I, am I hearing, yeah. am I hearing well, that right? I think you're hearing that right. And also that, you know, the Episcopal Church, I think, has consciously moved away from the father knows best model. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but only so far. Yeah, yeah. Like we father knows best, but we wouldn't say that anymore. But but it is often that the priest is the expert. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are things in which we are expert. You know, I don't in any way want to denigrate the knowledge and training that clergy bring. But I also think part of that gift of humility, as you said, is the ability to take that deep breath and okay, you know, what would I have to change for us to move forward? Not just what does the system need to change, or or what does the other person need to change. And you mentioned um, you mentioned local formation, which um, CDSP is now involved with pretty significantly through partnerships with lots of dioceses. Um, mm-hmm. So it's you know something we we think about as an as an institution. You said there's been a sort of past iteration of local formation, and you're looking to the next iteration. 
wondering maybe about about changes. I'm curious what your thinking there has been so far. So I've just ordained three of the four priests that were part of what was known as our tent maker program here in Arizona. And I'm ordaining the fourth one in December, who are all raised up by their congregations, formed in a over a two-year process online classes, um, and are in some places where, you know, they are three or four hours from Phoenix, all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and in different directions, <laughs> um, <laughs> of course. you know, and so uh, I think, I think we've done a really good job of, of raising up those leaders and of, of training them and giving them the skills they need to get started. Um, I don't think we did as good of a job preparing the congregations mm. for what it was like. So I'm, I'm wondering in, in another iteration, is it partly the theological formation of the, the priest to be, you know, and is it part the theological formation of the congregation who is going to have mm. a priest in a new relationship? Um, mm. So, so yeah, things like that sort of like, how do you, how do you educate both groups? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, for example, what does it mean? What does it mean to maybe to have as a priest in charge or, or whatever mm-hmm. uh, a person who isn't isn't with us full time? Like, is that is that the? No, I think it's more. What is it like as a to as a as a rural congregation to have a priest who is going to be here for a while, who isn't just mm-hmm. some retired part timer who's going to be there for a year or maybe two if you're lucky. So instead of having clergy leadership that consistently turns over because it's always somebody doing it, you know, out of love, but also, you know, it's not a long-term answer. Whereas locally forming clergy means that it is a long-term answer. So I was so grateful for the tent maker priest program, um, which was started before I got here and kind of came to fruition just as I arrived. Um, And you know, that is going to be a really radical shift for those congregations, though, um, having clergy who who they can count on to be there, um, which is a different relationship than I think any of those congregations have had with their clergy mm. over the last, you know, 10 or 15, maybe even longer years. Yeah. Wow. Wow. What a change in uh, leadership model. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, um, why don't we talk a bit about um, some other kinds of uh, of stories? And we've been we've been wondering about um, stories from from you know new leaders. Mm-hmm. However, that makes sense in your context. Seminarians, recent graduates, um, you know, folks in this program, and, and any anyone that you'd think of as as a new leader in your context. Um, what are some stories that you're hearing that um, that make you hopeful uh, for the future of the church? So the the story that came to mind when I heard that question um, is one of actually a current CDSP seminarian who's doing distance learning, um, Perry Polly. He's a transitional deacon who I just ordained to the transitional diaconate in July, the end of July. Um, and he had done a year of field education at a congregation here in Arizona, St. Christopher's in Sun City. It's a really interesting, great congregation. So it's in Sun City, but it's a it has a Spanish language uh, service and an English language service and really great mentor for him, uh, Father Peter Fabre. Um, and so he spent the year there getting to know them, loving them. Um, and then tragically, uh, Father Peter died um, mm. in August. Um, w- rather, you know, there was a couple weeks um, preparing for it um, with an illness, but 
very sudden to the congregation, very sudden to us, very sudden to Perry. Um, and that left him as the seminarian at St. Peter's very much in a position of he was the person people turned to. Wow. <laughs> um, and there are some wonderful retired clergy on staff who are supporting the congregation as well. But um, to watch Perry display the gifts of love and pastoral support with Father Peter, with his wife, you know, over Zoom with the um, with the congregation um, and to, to work with him on how we're going to liturgically and pastorally care for this congregation has really um, reminded me that you, you know, you can, as long as you have the heart of a pastor, Mm. it's good to learn all the skills, but that if you love people, it will be, you know, it will be church. It will be the gathering of the people of God. Um, and so his watching him interact with that congregation where it would have been perfectly reasonable for him to be like, I'm a seminarian, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> um, Lots of other churches out there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, like somebody, somebody get the grown up priest in here. Um, but no, he has just, you know, and, and we've put some boundaries around it to keep it appropriate and safe and everything. But, but he is, um, he has, that congregation has demonstrated to him what it is to be loved by a congregation. And he has demonstrated to the congregation what it is to show love for people. Hmm. Thank you for that. That's beautiful. Um, so this next question, I, I want to invite you to um, really think big. Um, uh, this no, is I did. The, Oh, good, good. Uh, yeah, so this is the this is the sort of imaginative uh, question and a, a question thinking about maybe maybe helping us think outside of the box of um, what seminary education might look like. So I want to invite you to sort of pitch a course that you would commission or maybe team teach. Um, any instructor, any topic, what would it be? So in my fantasy world, um, what came to me when I was thinking about this was I would love to team teach a course with Tina Fey, okay. who is a Lutheran and lives in New oh, York really? City. Yeah, huh. yeah. So I know what I know what church she at least used to go to in New York City. So she's an hmm. ELCA Lutheran. You know, we're in common. You know, called, we're called a common mission with them. Yeah. Um, but so I would team teach a course with Tina Fey called, and Sarah laughed holding on to humor as a woman in the church. Mm. Um, because so when I be, moved from being an associate rector to being a priest in charge of a congregation, it was right when Bossy Pants came out, which was her uh -huh. book about sort of describing her experience of being a woman and a leader in comedy, mm -hmm. very male dominated field, um, not a field that is necessarily open to, to change. <laughs> um, and I found it a really helpful book for me as I moved into a new leadership role. Um, and I think that the, the hanging on to laughter, whether it's like the laughter of Sarah, where it's laughter at, you know, God, you couldn't possibly be calling yeah. me to this. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or whether it's the laughter of, you know, I remember being in the, in the church office as a rector with the two wardens um, 
waiting for the bed bug sniffing dog to arrive mm. um, at 10 p.m. on a weeknight or something, you know, and, and there was nothing to do in that situation, but just laugh mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like at the absurdity of ministry. Um, I think holding on to humor and laughter and is a way of holding on to joy. Mm. Um, and I think that's something that, you know, Tina Fey has certainly experienced in her, her life and her vocation. Um, and that there would be something to learn from that for us mm-hmm. because, you know, ministry is hard um, and taxing and we need to find the places where we can just be joyful and, you know, laugh, laugh and cry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, uh, sort of, that was one of the comments that, um, so when I was a uh, on the when my spouse was on the faculty at General Seminary, um, I was on the rota to celebrate the Eucharist in the Chapel of the Good Shepherd uh, as a faculty spouse. And one of the things that a seminarian at the time commented on was, "You always smile when you celebrate the Eucharist." Mm. And my response was, "Because I believe it, mm. you know, because it's good news." So when I'm at the altar and saying, you know, um, you know do this in memory of me. Mm. <laughs> I mean, there is a, there is a joy that's palpable at, at that, that, that I think comes through and that we, you know, that we, we shouldn't put under a bushel basket. Yeah. So sort of claiming the the laughter and the joy and the, the relief that comes with our sure and certain hope um, mm. in Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. So not just as sort of self care, but actually as part and parcel of the proclamation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The part that got to me, I, since I've been ordaining new priests, um, and because I was ordaining new priests while I was not celebrating the Eucharist because none of our churches could gather for Eucharist during COVID, um, mm-hmm. I've had a really unusual experience of ordaining priests and then having them celebrate their first Mass while I you know, back off and stand and watch them. So I've gotten to see three first Eucharists from, from new priests, which is really actually in some level been a, a really wonderful privilege because yeah. the bishop doesn't usually get to see that. Um, yeah. But here you get to see them at the altar. And it, you know, it made me remember my first Eucharist. It was prayer B, you know, in the fullness of time, put all things in subjection under your Christ. And I it was like, I mean, I had heard prayer be 8 million times before, but it just hit me that I believe this, mm-hmm. you know, and in that moment I dissolved into a puddle of tears, but, <laughs> but that, that whatever emotion it is that we have at the words of the liturgy, you know, we is, is genuine and is a way of interacting with the text, mm-hmm. um, and, and proclaiming it, you know, that, that whether it's with laughter or whether it's with tears or, you know, that that is, it's, it's real. It's not just um, a static frozen text. It, it means different things to different people in different times. And yet we proclaim it again and again and again. Thank you for that. That's, that's a helpful, um, helpful exposition of, of, of not, not just the role of joy, but the role of, yeah, of our, um, whole human selves um, Mm -hmm. in relation. Um, Thank you. So I'm curious um, uh, if you could kind of, uh, as as another bishop said, you know, kind of magic wand, Mm -hmm. you know, make a change um, Mm -hmm. in in how our leaders are trained. 
that would make a, a positive difference uh, for the Episcopal Church? What would, what would that change be? So this is another one where as a newish bishop, I feel like I'm going to know a lot more about the answer to that question when I've seen the difference in how people have been formed and how they, you know, what happens to them as clergy or yeah. as lay leaders. Um, but the thing that came to mind based on my experience so far, at least in a diocese, in the Diocese of Arizona, which is, you know, different from other dioceses, you know, it, we're all unique, um, is I feel like I like what our new seminary graduates are bringing to the church. Mm. I also think we might be preparing them to lead a church that doesn't exist yet. Mm. So, you know, our seminary graduates are dynamic and excited and um, ready to preach, you know, the, the gospel of love to the congregations and, um, and then they're sent to congregations that have big political divides. They're sent to congregations that are not racially diverse. That, and, and so they're sent to congregations that are not necessarily, I think, the congregation that they were wanting to lead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, I mean, for me, the question, like, how do we prepare the church for the leaders that we're raising up? Or, you know, how do we, I, I'm not sure that it's, for me, at least at this point, so much of a change of what I'd like to see our leaders formed as, I think they're pretty excellent, you know. Mm. Um, you know, I, I find of all, you know, we have a couple of recent seminary graduates from a couple of different seminaries, and they are, you know, they're able to think theologically, they're, um, you know, grounded in the Bible, they're grounded in prayer, you know, those are all, that's what I would want. Um, but the, the church isn't always ready for them. (laughs) So I think, I think it's for, and so if there's a way to, to figure out how do we form leaders, not just to serve in a changing church, but to change the church, um, and to function in multiple contexts. Like when I, when I went to seminary, I wanted to work in an urban church with, you know, uh, probably racially diverse, probably, um, you know, not wealthy, you know, and I got sent out to the wealthy suburbs of LA. Mm. Um, I didn't want to go there. I learned so much. Mm. (laughs) So, so how do we equip people to have flexibility and where they can serve so that they can serve in a lot of different contexts, even if it's not the context that they, you know, kind of have imagined God calling them to for all these years. So there's a there's a piece about the um, yeah sort of flexibility of 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 context. Did I also hear you say uh, uh, maybe maybe the skills to to help usher in that change? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so you know, in in Arizona, our congregations tend to be other than our Latino congregations, our congregations tend to be older, tend to be quite white, um, and you know, that's not universal, but that's a generalization. Um, and, you know, our seminarians have to be able to function in that context because mm-hmm. that's what the church looks like, mm-hmm. um, you know, and they have to learn in this context, how do we broaden and diversify the church so that the church can be, you know, can include younger people in many places, include, um, include people of color so that it, 
they know that the church, by the time they leave that congregation is, you know, looks a little different. Mm -hmm. Got it. Thanks. So, uh, Finally, we just want to ask for um, you know a piece a piece of advice. Um, what, what advice would you share with a seminary that is um, <laughs> sort of at a crossroads and is mm -hmm. is contemplating its future mission and role? Um, I mean, I will say that I, I've I've enjoyed watching you know a little bit from the outside over the last year to see the changes at CDSP, and mm -hmm. and I'm feeling very hopeful about your future as a seminary. Um, I think that in the role of bishop, you know, now the focus on tuition and student debt mm -hmm. is very welcome. Mm -hmm. um, that I don't feel comfortable as a bishop at this point sending young people to a graduate theological institute where they're going to end up hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt <laughs> so that they yeah. can go get a job in the church, yeah. hopefully. <laughs> um, so I think the, the way that seminaries are shifting in their models for charging tuition and for providing housing and things are, are critical. Um, so, you know, that I think is the piece that is, is most, you know, I, I hate to focus on the financial and not the theological, but. <laughs> well, but they're, they're linked, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it sounds like you're just talking about money, but what you're talking about is the stewardship of someone's life. Yeah. Yeah. That that if you're going to hang a millstone around their neck when they're 25, then you know what? Then the church would have to have a much greater commitment to employment and salaries. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we don't currently have that. So yeah. um, I think I think that the model that CDSP and some other places are using now is is gives me comfort in knowing that a person is being formed, but that they have some flexibility still in their lives. Well, Bishop Brattle, it has been um, a real pleasure to speak with you today. Thank you so much for sharing your um, wisdom and, and your ministry with us. It's good to talk to you. Likewise. Take care. Crossings Conversations is a co-production of Church Divinity School of the Pacific and Trinity Church Wall Street. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or share it with a colleague. You can learn more about the only Episcopal Seminary on the West Coast and subscribe to Crossings Magazine at cdsp.edu.